Almost tripped on that projector wire, Tony. That was crisis averted there. Uh, <laughs> hey, thanks. <laughs> I feel so encouraged now. <laughs> uh, well, last week I was gone because I was preaching at a conference in Vienna at Grace Baptist Church there with my friend Todd Hill. He invited a group of area pastors to preach at a conference that he put on starting on Sunday morning. And, and what he did was he had us all sit around and have lunch together like we do monthly. And he, he presented a bunch of difficult questions that his congregation had come up with that they would like to, to explore uh, a little more about and get an answer to and see what God's word has to say about it. And so basically, Todd put all those questions out on the table for us and said, hey, I'd love for you guys to grab one of these. I need all of you. We're going to have enough sessions throughout the whole day that I'm going to need each and every one of you to preach one of these. It wasn't really a, hey, will you do this? It's like, hey, you're going to do this for me. <laughs> so we're like, we're happy to do it. All right, great, great. And I, I, I grabbed a question first, and it was probably, of all the, of those difficult questions, the one that I was least expected to grab. But here's the question, and I'll tell you why I chose it. The question is this, why does my child go prodigal, and what do I do about this? And when I saw that question, I thought, well, hey, I'm, I'm preaching in the book of Proverbs. I can probably take some of the content that I've been preaching and use that to answer this question. And then I, I, I'll have two birds with one stone. What ended up happening is I crafted a new message to answer this question, and now I'm going to use it in my Proverbs series. <laughs> so I did it exactly the opposite. <laughs> of what, yeah, yeah. Hey, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> Don't need to recreate the will here, right? I can, I can uh, use this sermon again, get some mileage out of it. But I chose this, that question for three reasons. Uh, I, I've been, uh, again, I've been preaching through Proverbs, and so many of these Proverbs teach us about how to interact with our family. Um, and, and so I thought, hey, uh, let's, let's do this. I have some content ready. Um, but the second reason I chose this is because I have three boys, and, and I feel like this, the stage of life that I'm in right now, uh, I'm, I'm at this critical point. I, I see myself at this critical point of parenting with a, a 10-year-old, 12-year-old, and 15-year-old. Like, I feel like I have this really important window of opportunity to parent my kids because in three years, I'm going to have an adult on my hands. And that's terrifying. Like, that just blows my mind. Uh, that that is the case. And so I have this window of time that I feel like is so important. And so none of my kids are old enough to, go, to have gone wayward or to go prodigal, right? But my kids are going to be leaving the home in just a few years, right? And, and so and I, I'm not the Holy Spirit, and I can't guarantee where they're going to head in life. And so I think now is a great time for me to be thinking about what I would do if one of my uh, kids were to go prodigal, right? So I, I just think it's, a, it's an important window of time, time for me, and I, it was important for me as a parent to be thinking through this and how I model my faith to my kids. So the first two reasons were just selfish, <laughs> uh, is why I, I picked that question. But the, the third reason is this. I read a story in the New York Times recently that absolutely shook me to my core. And I'll share that with you momentarily. So the passage, though, that I want to share with you 
comes from Proverbs chapter 22. I bet you most of you, if you've read any of Proverbs whatsoever, you know this verse off the top of your head. It's hands down the most popular, most quoted, most used proverb in the entire book of Proverbs. And it's Proverbs 22 verse 6. And I want to uh, dive a little deeper into this really well-known proverb because when I started to mine the depths of this particular verse, there was a little bit more than meets the eye in this particular passage. Let me read it to you, and like I said, I imagine it's very familiar to you. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. What a great verse. It's incredibly pr practical. It's incredibly simple. It just, it just makes sense. We all want to take our role as parents serious. We want to train up our kids. We want to be intentional about how we raise them. We want to train them up in the way they should go. We want to make sure they go the right way whenever they are older. We want them to make good decisions in life. We want them to go in a God-fearing way. So we want to train them up specifically to that end so that they will not depart from it. You know how you parent your kids right now? That affects them the rest of their life. How we interact with our children when they are living in our homes, how we model uh, husband and wife and family, all of that matters. And we know it matters. How many of us in here will say, well, I'm kind of messed up. If you would have had a childhood like mine, you would be too. Right? You might say something. You, you hear people with a lot of daddy issues or mommy issues and things like that because your experience in the home affects the rest of your life. And so this verse is just one of those verses we can read and immediately we're like, amen, yeah, that makes sense. I want to do that. We, we easily get on board with Proverbs 22.6. But as simple as it reads... Uh, there's a little more here that meets the eye. I was actually a little shocked uh, as to how much uh, controversy, or well, I'll say just how much uh, scholars had to say about this particular wording. It, it doesn't translate really well. I mean, when we read it, I mean, just off the top of our heads, like, okay, yeah, discipline your kids so they don't grow up to be pagans. That makes sense. I'm going to do that. But when you, when you get into the Hebrew, and you hear me say this all the time, like, if you really want to know what a verse teaches... Go back and look at what Hebrew words are being used or Greek words. You, you look up uh, of, uh, the definitions of those words. You look at the phrases and how the phrases were used in the culture within which it was presented initially. And, and when you do those sorts of things, a lot more comes to light. And this is one of those verses that when you really dig into it, a lot more comes to light. And scholars have a lot to say about it. So train up. That, that, that word tra for train up means to consecrate or to dedicate. And so if you were, for example, if, if we were to build a temple as the Jews did, they would consecrate that, that place to the worship of the Lord. We build a temple, we want to dedicate this place as a house of prayer. This is a place where we go to, to worship. And so we, when we say we want to train up our child, that Hebrew word literally means we want to dedicate our children. Dedicate, consecrate our children to the Lord. And so that next phrase, in the way he should go, here's where things get really interesting. 
if you, if you just translated that phrase and the way he should go from the Hebrew just literally over to English, what it would say is this, on the mouth of his way does not compute, right? That's why it doesn't say that in your Bible, <laughs> because if you just phrase it like that, it's very confusing. So it would very literally say, consecrate your child on the mouth of his way. What in the world does on the mouth of his way mean? Well, again, when you start to research these phrases and how they were used in that time and in, in Hebrew, what you find is this is a reference to personality. Like, on the, like dedicate your child on the mouth of his way. Like it means dedicate your child according to their unique personality. Like, so here's, here's, here's what it would be saying. Train up your child in the fear of the Lord according to his unique personality. If you had the most literal translation you could possibly think of, that would be it. And it's an amazing thought, right? Because all of our kids are, are unique. I have three boys, and they are so different. I just expected if I had multiple kids that they would all be just like each other, right? And that is not the case. Each one of my boys has a very unique personality. And so how I parent them even varies from child to child. That doesn't seem fair, but you parents with multiple kids know that's how it tends to play out, doesn't it? Because the way you discipline one kid works, but it may not work with the other kid. Like if I go sit, you know, when Nolan was real little and I'd sit him in time, time out in the corner, he would be like, devastated, right? His feelings are hurt, and he's sad, and he didn't want to let dad down. If I go sit Emmett in the corner and time out, he's like, cool, corner's awesome. I love it here. I could sit in this corner all day. You can get up now, Emmett. No, I'm good. I prefer it here now. Like, if you, if you discipline all your kids exactly the, in exactly the same way, you are going to run into all kinds of problems. And so even how I interact with my kids, it's different from child to child, right? Because they have different personalities, they have different interests. And so I like to engage in the things that they are interested in. If, they, if they're interested in it, I'm interested in it. I want to engage them and, and just see what they're into. And so I, I, I believe that each one of my boys, though, they are given these unique personalities. And it's my job as a parent to dedicate them to the Lord according to the way they are, they are unique. And so, you know, my, my oldest son, he, he has a good sense of reasoning about him. You can have very in-depth conversations with him, and I enjoy that. How can I leverage that and, and teach him to leverage that to the kingdom of God, to benefit the glory of God, and to, to make God's name renowned? You know, my, my middle son is very creative. His imagination runs wild all the time, like, he, he lives in his own world, and I like to visit it sometimes, like, he, it's just kind of, how, how, how can I train him up, how can I dedicate that uniqueness, that, that impressive imagination to, to, to benefit God's kingdom, my youngest son is very empathetic, and so, if you're sad around him, like, he's sad, if you're happy, he's happy. He, he feels whatever emotion you're expressing around my youngest son, he doesn't just notice it, Notice it, he doesn't just notice that feeling, he, he feels it. And so he's very empathetic in that way. How can, I, how can I train him up in such a way that he can use that unique personality trait to benefit the church? I think that's what this passage is teaching us. And so I think that's a, a very relevant thing for us as parents to be thinking through. 
And it's just a really prime time for me because I feel like every day really matters right now. Uh, and, it, it, and time is going by so fast it's scary. But I, I'm feeling the weight of this responsibility more and more. And, and, and as I, I begin to feel this responsibility as a parent more and more, I, I stumbled upon a, a, a news article in the New York Times that I mentioned earlier. It was a, an article that came out this past spring. And what it was, uh, it, it, again, it just shook me when I read it. It, like, it took my breath away. I, I couldn't believe what I was reading. The son of one of the most influential pastors of our time. He, he has become a millionaire by making TikTok videos that mock the Christian faith. It, it's, a, it's a tragic story. So the pastor is probably one that you've heard of. His name is John Piper. And so regardless of what you think about John Piper, you can't deny the fact that he is one of the most influential evangelical pastors in modern history. I mean, he's authored uh, an endless amount of books. He's got more degrees than Fahrenheit. You know, he's, he's very well known. He's preached at just an endless list of conferences all over the world. And, and you know, he seems to be a genuine fellow. There's no scandal, you know, around any of his ministry. He's retired now, but he still writes books and, and speaks at conferences and things like that. Now, I don't claim I don't claim to know anything about John Piper personally, right? I, I have this thousand-yard view of his life just like anybody else. I can only uh, draw conclusions based on the, the, any evidence I have from a thousand yards away. So I don't, I don't pretend to know anything about his personal life, about his family life, or what, what it was like growing up in his household. I don't know any of those things, so I'm not speaking to any of that. But I'm just saying from this far away, he seems to be a pretty legit guy. He seems to be really faithful in his ministry, very, again, very genuine, very humble. He, I would imagine he would be the type of guy who would take his role as a Christian parent extremely serious. And yet his son is becoming famous for being anti-Christian. And so his son is Abraham Piper, and, and um, you know, he looks to be in his 30s or something like that. And he didn't just stop going to church, right? He didn't just become wishy-washy with his faith. He didn't just, you know, grow up to become a functional atheist, if you want to put it that way. But he's, he's very snarky, and he creates these, these one-minute, one-to-three-minute sound bites of, uh, you know, the, the, I'm not on TikTok. I'm like, I, I'm just not cool enough for TikTok, so I, so I don't have a TikTok. But, uh, but you can go and just look at some of these TikTok videos. And so I did go look at several of his videos. I just wanted to hear what he was saying. And, and man, he's, he's just very rude. Like, um, just no, no, no grace in anything that he's saying. You know, sometimes when you, when you go and you listen to someone who is uh, speaking against what we believe, at least they can have a, a little flavor of grace behind what they're saying and the, and the problems and issues that they have. That's not his vibe at all. Man, he's just trying to be mean. He's trying to be extremely flippant and disrespectful. He's very cocky. I mean, his attitude is just, it's just hateful. You know, he's just really hateful and mean. And so it was just breaking my heart. And, and you know, I even hesitated to, to mention this. Oh, no, what if somebody goes listens to his TikTok videos? Hey, listen, if you go listen to a, a three-minute TikTok video and it shakes your faith and like, oh, no, I don't know what I believe anymore, you probably didn't dedicate enough time to really establish what you believe in the first place. That's the thing about these one-minute sound bites uh, that you can find online. 
you can go tit for tat all day. You find a, a good one-minute zinger here, well, you can find the equal and opposite zinger over here, and you can go back and forth. It's a waste of time. Um, I would encourage you to invest in a different way to figure out what you believe and uh, certainly point you to, to God's word. But, he's, but, but here he is just being very mean, very flippant, and in a matter of months in spring of 2021, or I'm sorry, yes, spring of 2021, he got over a million followers on TikTok and counting. And so when you have that many followers on TikTok, right, these, when you create content for a lot of these platforms, you can get paid because they sell ads. And so here, here he is like a millionaire, just from uh, making videos that are watched so often, and it makes national news and worldwide news because everybody knows who his dad is. And so I, I just can't, I couldn't help but think for a little bit as to how his dad feels. Again, let's, let's, just, give, let's just give John Piper the benefit of the doubt that he is just a good guy who just faithfully served his church and retired and tried to do the best that he could and had the best of intentions and had a successful career. Let's just give him the benefit of the doubt here. I, you know, his faith means a lot to him. Obviously, he taught his son a lot about the Bible because his, his son mentions the Bible a lot in his videos. Uh, he mentions it all the time. But how does John Piper cope with this? What does he say in return? You know, one of the first things that I did is I got, on, I got on the Google and I started searching responses from John Piper. Has he responded in any way publicly? I couldn't find anything. I looked and looked and looked and searched his, his, uh, the websites that he releases uh, pastoral content on. I, I searched any and everywhere I could think to look. And it doesn't look that he's publicly responded in any way. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I just couldn't find it, which wouldn't surprise me either. But I just think, like, what the hurt that he's feeling, what can he do, what can he say? You know, why did his son go prodigal, and what can he, what can he do about it, right? Well, that's what I want to spend our time doing today, and I want to do it by doing this. I want to confront one reality, and then I want to I talk about three things that we can do as parents if we find ourselves in that situation. And I know we have a wide spectrum of parents here. From, from diapers to, to adults, right, our kids. And so um, I think there's something here for all of us uh, when we think about this. Here, here's the one reality, though, I think is helpful to confront. It's common. It's really, really common. It happens all the time. I mean, I, I've been in full-time ministry since I was 22 years old. It's the only full-time career I even know. And so here I am working on 42 now. And, and so... I, I can make a long list of names if I wanted to, if I wanted to sit down and just start writing names of students who grew up in the church, and when they graduated, they didn't just graduate high school, they, they, they graduated their faith. They seem to have disappeared. And, and that list would be really long for me of kids that I invested time in for literally years and then they just abandon anything that resembles Christianity as soon as they become adults. That list would be long for me. And isn't it interesting, too, that two kids, and I've seen this a lot, too, two kids can grow up in the same exact household with the same exact parents, with the same exact set of rules and expectations, and they grow up with the same disciplines and everything, and yet one kid goes astray and the other kid digs their talons in even more when it comes to the Christian faith, and they become faithful, and they never leave the faith. Isn't that interesting? Why is that? Well, it's common. It happens all the time. 
I guarantee each and every one of you out there could probably think, you, you could make your own list. You, depending on how long you've existed in the church, you could probably make a pretty long list of people you know who just abandoned the faith once they became adults. Or you know, the, you know uh, kids of, of friends of yours that they did that. Well, it's really common. As a matter of fact, it's so common, it's one of the first stories we read in the Bible, right? I mean, this goes all the way back to Cain and Abel. Talk about the, the, the waywardness and how two kids can grow up in the same household and one turns out bad, one turns out good. Like, man, Cain and Abel is a perfect example of that, right? We don't have to get very far into the Bible. Like, sin entered the world and then, boom, families got problems and, and people go wayward. You better believe that Eve had really high expectations for her son, Cain. And we know that for a couple of reasons. Like, whenever you, whenever you think of the story of Adam and Eve and, and sin enters the world, we remember God addressing that ancient serpent, right? And he speaks this prophecy that says, He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That is in Genesis 3.15. That's known as the first messianic prophecy in Scripture. There's a ton of them. That, that's the first one. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We believe that that is a, a messianic prophecy, a prophecy that foretells the coming Messiah. Yeah, the, the, the snake's going to bite the heel, but the, the more superior blow is the injury to the head, right? And, and, and that is one of many messianic prophecies that point to the Messiah. Well, when Eve heard this, she's thinking, I need to have a child. And I want to see this Messiah in my lifetime. And you better believe when Cain was born, she thought, here it is. This is the man. He's going to make this right. She had high expectations. She no doubt raised him to know the Lord and did everything that she could. And yet we know the story of Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel. So I thought it was worth mentioning these things just in case you're one of those parents who you're living uh, the reality of a wayward child. It, it's a common thing. You are not alone. This has been going on since the beginning of time. Literally, you are not alone. And it happens to a lot of people and we see it all the time. And so many parents, I feel like in that situation, they're just in a constant state of kicking themselves. Well, if I could only go back and do this differently, if I could only go back and, and somehow make this right, well, I think there's some relief there in knowing that um, this happens, and sometimes it happens beyond our control. But there's three things that I want to encourage us as a church family to do when we are in an experience where someone goes wayward. And the first one is this. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. Never let someone else's waywardness drive you away from your faith. That's the, that's the complete and total opposite thing that you should do. There's a temptation, though, I believe, whenever it's your child that has gone wayward, I think there is a temptation to so frantically run after them that you abandon your faith, in a sense. I, it, it can be done like that, and I've seen it done like that, where parents in, in, in such a deep mindset of distress they just go running so hard and so fast after the wayward child that they begin they begin to pander to the waywardness in a way that draws themselves uh, away from from what they believe in addition to their child 
going wayward. And so it makes matters even worse. And I've seen some parents not only run after the child in that sense, but, but even joining in in the sin that is drawing them away from what we believe. So stay faithful. That's the most important thing we can do when someone in our lives goes wayward or goes prodigal. We remember the encouragement in the book of Hebrews that we studied. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Remember, he's, he's saying this to a group of people that are in deep distress, and he's saying this to a, con- to a, to a context of individuals who have experienced people in their flock going wayward. He's encouraging them to stay faithful. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So run to God, not away from God when someone in your life goes wayward. You think about how badly you want your child or would want your child to run to you, right? How, how, how you just, you crave their return. Well, how much more does God want us to press into him in matters of deep distress, right? We want to run to God in our faith in those moments for comfort, for peace, for strength, we press into the Lord because it's when we press into God that he gives us what we need to help those who go wayward. You know, we studied this over this past year. When we run to God, he equips us and enables us in a special way. The fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the attributes we need if we ever want to shepherd someone back into the fold of God. No one's going to be drawn to God apart from God. We're never going to be able to leave the fold of God and and get the people we want and then go back together to the fold of God. Like, we need God in order for those to be drawn to God. No one gets to God apart from God. And so if we truly have a heart for those who go wayward, we need to press into the Lord, run to the Lord, and he will equip us and enable us with any and everything that we need in order to interact with the waywardness in a way that is is holy and righteous and good and relevant and helpful. So we want to press into the Lord. And so one of the ways specifically, though, when, when God equips us with the fruit of his spirit, another thing that he does and gives us to intervene is, is, is prayer. That's the second thing. So stay faithful and press into the Lord. And the second thing is prayer. And not just pray, but keep praying. I mean... Maybe a way to think of it like this, you know, sometimes when people go wayward, we get so frustrated with them. And we waste all of this energy and all of this effort just being angry and developing bitterness and maybe just being frustrated with the things that they're doing. And so then we, we, we spend all of our energy on those things and, and we don't spend time in prayer. I mean, are we really going to, in a sense, turn our back on the wayward by not praying for them? We don't want to turn our back on people who go wayward, we don't want to turn our back on them spiritually. We want to confront the waywardness with prayer. God has given us this means to do something for people who go wayward. John Bunyan says this. He's that famous Puritan. And I mentioned this quote whenever we talked about the Lord's Prayer a year or two ago. It says this, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Pray often 
For prayer is a shield to the soul, a sacrifice to God, and a scourge to Satan. I mean, there's probably a sliver of us that pushes back against things like that, though. When, I, when you hear encouragement to pray and to keep praying, well, if you've been praying about something for a long time, repeatedly, we tend to press back against that. Man, if you only knew how much I've prayed. I understand we need to keep praying, and I understand Paul says pray without ceasing and all of that stuff. But if you only knew how much I've prayed up to this point, you may not be so enthusiastic to encourage me to keep praying. Like when I go in prayer, I'm like, well, God, it's, it's me again. You already know what I'm going to say because I say the same thing every day, multiple times a day. And we get discouraged, I think, a lot of times when we think about praying repeatedly over and over and over again. It can feel defeating when we don't get the answer to prayer that we desire. But, you know, Jesus actually ministers to people in a parable that are caught in kind of some negativity regarding repeated repeatedly praying about the same thing over and over and over again. This was a reality uh, back then as well, right? People who just keep praying for something and praying for something. And, and Jesus, he would often teach in these parables to, to educate people, his followers, uh, in a special way to inspire them never to stop praying. And the parable is the, the parable of the persistent widow. Listen to what Jesus says here. This is, comes from Luke 18, 1 through 8. It says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. That's the specific purpose of this parable. He said, and here's the parable, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in the city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the, and the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith on earth? So this parable is to teach us that it is virtuous to keep going to God in prayer, even if it's the same prayer about the same obstacle or the same wayward child over and over and over again. Never, under any circumstances, give up on prayer. Keep praying. Jesus is specifically instructing his followers, never stop praying praying. This is how I've planned this to work. So did you notice in the parable, though, like the, the widow, now a widow would have been helpless in this culture. It would have been seen as an example of someone who wouldn't have any clout, any authority, any possessions, any, any position of power whatsoever. And so she goes to an unjust judge. Did you notice that description in the parable? He didn't respect God, didn't respect men, didn't fear God or respect men. And so this was an unjust judge. He was bad at his job. But she just kept coming to him and coming to him, give me justice, give me justice. The request kept coming back over and over and over to the point in which even an unjust judge gave in to the request. We're meant to see those elements of the parable specifically to think about how when we take our requests to God, we're not taking them before an unjust judge. 
all of our prayers are landing on a perfectly just judge. If an unjust judge helps the widow, how much more confidence should we have in a just judge to do what's right and to answer our prayers in perfect timing and in a perfect way? Never, under any circumstances, stop praying. Be persistent in your prayers. Because you know what? When it comes to answering our prayers, the only thing God is capable of is perfection. That's the only thing he's capable of. Perfection, perfect timing, and perfect answers. So what we can do is to remain faithful. What we can do is press into the Lord and pray. And here's the third thing we can do whenever a child goes prodigal. We should always remain ready for a prodigal son moment. We know the, the story of the prodigal son. That was another parable of Jesus, right? Now, I mentioned that Proverbs 22.6, that's the most famous proverb in all of the book of Proverbs. Probably the parable of the prodigal son is the most popular parable of any of the parables. Even if you're not a believer, even if you haven't gone to church, you probably, if you grew up in this culture, you just even, you know somewhat uh, about the prodigal, uh, the, uh, the parable of the prodigal son. And so we, we know the story where the, the son asks for his in inheritance in advance, and he just squanders it all. He does all of the things that he, a, a father would hope his son wouldn't do once he got his inheritance. He just squandered it all on the pleasures of this world, wasted it, ruined his life. He thinks there, he's hit rock bottom in his life, and he's starting to think, man, oh, if only I could just go home. Maybe I can just, you know, exist back in my, on my father's property. I'll be the low man on the totem pole. If I could just sleep in a cardboard box in the corner somewhere, that would be great. It would be so much better than, than this life I've built with the squandered inheritance. I've just ruined everything. Oh, man, they probably aren't even going to let me back. Maybe if I go beg, maybe if I go before my, my father, maybe he'll just give me some sliver of existence over there, but that would be so much better than what's happened to me now. And, and he was so wrong, right? We know how the story goes. Let me read to you the father's response when, the, when his son returns. This comes from Luke 15, starting at verse 20. It says, and he arose and came to his father. Listen to this. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. There is literally a spider on my Bible right now. I just like, I'm just going to grab him and set him over here. You're just, okay. Well, you know what? I'm just, now he's on my hand. I'm just going to leave him there. I, I, I can deal with screaming babies, but when a spider's on my hand, I, I, I can't deal with that. The father's response, the boy, was, the boy was so wrong. I'm so sorry. It says, and the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. That's the best part of the whole story. It's the best part of the whole parable. The son just figured I'm going to be rejected. I'm not going to be allowed back in my father's household. And before he could even step onto the property, the dad sees him from a, from a far way off and just runs to him. He shows him compassion and love. He showers him with gifts, and he tells everyone to celebrate. My son has returned. 
That should be the posture we are ready to be in at all times if someone goes wayward in our life, if someone goes prodigal. I mean, that dad, seeing him a far way off, he was just ready to drop everything and run to him. Isn't that awesome? That should be how we exist as believers. We should be so ready. I mean, how, how reassured was that son, how that feels when, it, when a son returns, how reassured are they when there's a celebration upon their return? You know, I mentioned in the beginning of this sermon, like, that list of people that have gone wayward is long. But I've managed to do ministry in one area for, for a long enough season of time. I think I moved to this area back in 2005 and have been ministering in the Mid-Ohio Valley since then. And I've been here long enough where I've started to, to see the stories of when a wayward or prodigal son does return. And so I, I, in preparation for this sermon, when I, was, when I was prepping it for the conference I was speaking at, I had, in the two weeks leading up to that Sunday, I just felt like God was ministering to me. I had two moms approach me and, and who, who, who don't go to church here. I've just ministered to their family many, many years ago. And they, they've come to me in tears, just excited to tell me about how their son had returned to the faith. They've come back to the family. They're, they're a part of their lives again. They had gone wayward for many years. And they just couldn't wait to tell me. One, one mother sent me a lengthy email to tell me all about it. She just, she's like, I, I just couldn't wait to share with you because you, you know, you were a part of my son's life back in the day and you know what happened. You know the decisions he's made when, when he became an adult. And like, look, look, here, here, he's, he's come back. And, and the Monday before I preached this sermon for the first time, I, I ran into a mother uh, whose, whose son I had in, in youth a long time ago. And she's like in tears, happy to see me. And I'm like, wow, well, <laughs> I, I can't, well, you're this excited to see me. It wasn't about me. It was about her son. I can't wait to tell you about my son. You know the problems that my son has had. And she, she began to rehash some of it. And now he, he was in our student ministry. And as soon as he graduated, man, he just started a crooked path. And he turned to several different addictions. And there would be seasons of time in which we didn't even know where he was at. We would try to reach him and we would try our best to faithfully pray for him, but it just seemed like the more we tried and the more we trade the prayed, the, the further away he seemed to wander from anything that resembled our faith and our church and, and, and family life. And so for years, for years, uh, he went in the wrong direction, and, and she was just with tears in her eyes so excited to tell me about her son's return to the faith. I mean, he's a, he was an intelligent guy. He was an intelligent kid. And he was very smart. I, he he kind of reminded me of John Piper's sons with his TikTok videos because he, he, is, he can put two thoughts together very well. And he can articulate himself. And, and, and he, when he would get into sin, he could justify it very uh, verbally. And, and so he would uh, find the position that would justify his sin. And he could articulate it well and, and put any opposition into submission with his words. I mean, he was very good with that. He was, just, he was very skilled. And so he, he, he's, as since though, after years of going down that path, God has done a work in his heart and brought him back to the faith. And, and so he, he spent time in a rehab clinic and I, I, just hearing the relief in his mother's voice to share with me this story was, was just a tremendous blessing. He now works at the rehab center to help people get off of drugs and to get away from alcoholism and, and hold them accountable. And, and something that stuck out to me that she said, she said, the most reassuring thing my son said to me was, Mom, I knew I could come back because I knew you'd never give up on me. 
I knew I could always come home and change my life because you would be there to support me. I think it was a blessing. And I think that he, he knew enough about what we believe as Christians to know that there would be a celebration if he returned. He knew enough about what we believed in our faith that his mom would drop what she was doing and his dad would drop what he was doing and they would see him far off and come running after him and shower him with just love and compassion and do anything they could to restore his life out of ruin. And, and that's the posture we got to be ready to be in for believers. For her, it was years. It was the better part of a decade. Just watching her just, you know, be stressed out and, and, and be defeated. And, and finally he came home and she was ready. So, you know, how can, how can we be in that posture? Well, I think, one, it's, it's easy when it's your kid, when it's your own flesh and blood, right? My kid's got a seat at the table no matter what they do. You know, they, no matter how they screw up in life, they're going to be able to come back. That's flesh and blood. But we have a gospel that goes even beyond that reason. We can accept those back into the fold of God when they, after they go wayward, they can come back and we will be ready to greet them at the door and welcome them in to the community of believers because they are accepted on the same basis that we are accepted, right? We have nothing in our hands to offer God to be accepted into the community of Christ. This is all about the gospel. We have a, a seat at the table in the house of God because of the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. That's the gospel message. We come to God in the same way that that prodigal son came to his father with nothing in our hands to offer. We don't deserve for our father to come running after us in compassion. We don't deserve to be given a restored life, a new life. We don't deserve to have the sacrifice in order to celebrate our return. We, have, we, have, we don't have a, a claim to any of that. And so when, when those come back to the fold of God, we can, because of the gospel, run to them because they are obviously accepted because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The debt has been paid. The debt's already been paid. And so they have a seat at the table for the same reason we have a seat at the table, because of the righteousness of Christ. They have a place here just like we have a place here. I don't deserve to be here because I live such a good life, and I don't deserve salvation because I, I'm a pastor or do anything good in my life. I've not done enough. I'm accepted by God and have a place in his church because of the righteousness of Christ alone. And it's through that faith in the righteousness of Christ that we are seen as righteous and holy. It's the merit of Jesus. And so they have a seat at the table of the kingdom of God for the same reason we do, and that our sins have been washed away. It's not that our sins never happened. It's not that we don't have to be honest about our sins. It's not like we pretend that they don't exist. It's that we live in a reality that our sins have been atoned for. They have been punished. Justice has been served. And so they have a seat at the table through the atonement of Christ, just like I have a seat at the table because of the atonement of Christ. Anytime a wayward child returns, it's, it's Christ that is the cause for celebration. So it, it's, it's the gospel of Christ that gives us hope and sustains us in the in-between time. And it's the gospel of Christ that, that, that is the cause for celebration when they do return. And so no one is too far wayward because no one can get beyond the reach of the gospel of Jesus. No one can get too far away that they can't be redeemed because the redemption is rooted in who Jesus is, not in who we are. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you for your sufficient works. It's because your works are sufficient that we can have hope for anyone. Your works are sufficient for everyone, and so we can have hope for anyone. Lord, I, I pray for those here today who are young parents. I pray that they would think through your proverb of dedicating their child according to their unique personalities, that they wouldn't depart from their faith. Lord, I pray that you would make their, make their parenting very intentional, inspire them, and encourage them, Lord, and empower them with your spirit to dedicate their children to you in a special way according to who their kids are. And Lord, I pray for the parent here whose child has gone wayward. They're in pain. I pray for peace. Lord, I pray for hope. I pray that you would sustain them. Lord, I pray that they would be encouraged to be persistent in prayers. And Lord, help us as a community of believers to rally around them in support and prayer and never give up on the means by which you have given us to intervene for those who have gone wayward. And Lord, I pray for all of us here today that despite who has gone wayward in their faith in our lives, that we would all be in a posture ready to celebrate a return, that we would all be ready to, to celebrate and to shower individuals with compassion. Lord, sometimes the, the way back looks like such a small step, but Lord, help us to encourage them and help us to be a part of their lives in such a way that it, it would encourage them and help them back to the fold of God, that we wouldn't shower them with over, overly, you know, over-judgmentalism, but Lord, that we would shower them with grace that you've showered us with. Lord, we want to do all of this for your renown, for your glory, for your praise. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.